And we are live. What's up, guys? Welcome to Feta. I'm here with Feta uh, with I'm here with Angie. <laughs> As y'all already know, man. And we're gonna be covering La Cosa Nostra. You guys have waiting a while for this one. Let's get into it. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations. Okay, guys. HSI. The cases that I did mostly were human smuggling and drug trafficking. No one else has these documents, by the way. Here's what Feta covers. Doctor Lafredo confirmed. Lacerations due to stepping on glass. Murder investigation. You see him reaching in his jacket. You don't know. And he's positioning. Been on February 13, 2019. You're facing two counts of premeditated murder. Racketeering and Rico conspiracy. Young, young slime life. Here and after referred to as YSL. The defendants. This is, uh, six nine. And then this is Billy Seiko right here. Now, when they first started, guys, six nine ran. I'm a fed. I'm watching this music video. You know, I'm bobbing my head like, hey, this shit lit. But at the same time, I'm pausing. Oh, wait, who this? Right? Oh, who's that in the back? Firearms and violent crimes. AKA, Bushaisi violated. Your order to stay away from the victim. Bushaisi arrested after shooting at King of Diamonds, oh, Miami Strip Club, injured this one is person. The, this is the one that, that's going to fuck him up because this gun is not traceable. Well, what happened at the gun range? Here's your boy, 42 Doug, right here on the left. Okay. Sex trafficking and sex crimes. They can effectively link him to paying an underage girl. And the first bomb went off right here. Inspired by Al Qaeda. Two terrorists, the brothers, the Zokar Sarnev and Tamer Lynn Sarnev. When the cartel shipped drugs into the country. As this guy got arrested for um, espionage, okay, trading secrets with the Russians for monetary compensation. The largest corrupt police bust in New Orleans history. So he was in this bad boy. We're gonna go over his past, the gang ties, so that this all makes sense. All right, we're back. What's up, guys? Welcome to Fed It, man. I'm really excited to do this episode. Before I get into it real quick, Angie, introduce yourself to the people real fast. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys. It's me again. It's Angie. The Venezuelan that can speak English. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had left that out for a while now. Yeah. But um, yeah, we're back. We're finally, finally, finally covering the most requested, I will say, the most requested case. Yeah, they ask you the most. They yeah. spam you the most about this, right? Yes. Yeah. A lot of people have been asking about the, the Italian Mafia, so we're finally delivering it. This is going to be a deep episode guys so you gotta pay attention to it because we're gonna be playing a lot of videos and we're gonna be explaining a lot of terms and shit so yeah i hope you guys stay tuned in the whole video okay cool yeah guys um so quick announcements uh, as you guys know i'm i was sick all week man so uh, we're yeah. finally back uh shout out to Angie. she helped me she made me quite a bit of tea I actually got some tea <laughs> here yeah. um so my voice doesn't sound as crappy um <clears throat> and no guys we did you, we were not smashed before the show. <laughs> Tardy, I'll say this. God no, damn it. we don't. <laughs> she like, guys, she came right from work here. Uh, that's why we have to start the show a little bit later. Um, but yeah, man, no, no, no fornication before the show, bro. Come on, man. We got to stay focused over here. Fornication. Um, fornication. <laughs> uh, okay, so real quick, what we're going to be covering in today's episode, guys, we're going to be obviously covering um, the origins of the Sicilian Mafia, then get into the Italian-American Mafia, um, and then we're going to go into the Casta Maurice war, right? And Lucky Luciano, the formation of the five families, uh, terms, definitions, and hierarchy. Um, and yeah, after today's episode, you guys should have a very good awareness of how um, the Italian mafia originated back in Italy uh, and then came over to the United States and took over and made their money, etc. And then what we're going to do is we're going to switch over to the actual 
five uh, families, uh, which we're probably going to, I'm deciding whether I'm going to do it maybe one family a week or we do two families a week. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to cover how the FBI was able to dismantle um, the mafia. The mafia still exists to this day, guys, but obviously not to the same extent as they used to exist. Um, but yeah, you know, their heyday was, you know, in the 30s all the way up until the 1980s when Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani you know, took them down. Uh, so anything, Angie, you got before I hit these chats? Yeah, uh, well, sorry, guys. We were, be a little, we were a bit late because I was working. Apparently there is a, a game tonight, I don't know, basketball game. So yeah, I work at a sports bar, so you know, it's crazy. And also I want to request you guys that ask you actually that you stop requesting cases here in the chat because uh -huh. it's really difficult for me to keep track of all the cases. So if you please, please, please leave it in the comment section at the end of the video or like mm. meanwhile when you're watching the video, that'll be way easier for me to keep track of the cases that you drop. Because she reads the comments. Yes, because I read all the comments. And haters are not haters. No. So yeah. <laughs> and also, um, Sina and I are working on the Fetid Instagram. We finally have a new one. What um, is it called? It's Fetid what? It's, it's uh... Fetid, you know, with two Ds. Uh -huh. uh, dot 1811. That's going to okay. be... We're, we're working on the username and everything. Myron is, has this idea of changing the name. But um, we're going to work that out. So you can follow the Instagram. So we're going to, you know, we're going to keep active there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. All right. I think that's uh, that's about it right now. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, quick announcements real fast. Or I'll, I'll hit some of these chats. Uh, Joe Pro goes, hey, Mara, can you look into the Delphi murders sometime? It was a huge deal here in Indiana for the last five years because they couldn't find the guy. They finally caught him, but the case is still going. Okay. Uh, can you write that down, Angie? Yeah. Uh, can't stick around because I have to be up early. Have a good night, guys. No worries, Nick. I appreciate the support, my friend. This episode will be up for you later with timestamps. Uh, Caden Hines goes, like the video. Appreciate it. Uh, Andrew Mayhem goes, a lot of people have been asking for the triad Chinese mafia, especially when Myron did a personal case on it, but Angie keeps forgetting to add on the list. No, it's on the list. It's Don't on worry. the list, man. It's, it's on the list. Uh, w Angie for taking care of Myron. Wink, wink. <laughs> of course, yeah, I would say that. Uh, Myron, when you decide to marry, can Angie be wife number one? No, she's wife number two, guys. You guys know this already. <laughs> right. I don't like that joke. Uh, well, too. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. So we're going to get uh, into it here. So the first thing we're going to play is uh, we're going to play this video from uh, Kings and Generals. Okay. Uh, shout out to them. This is a pretty good YouTube channel from a historical sense. Um, and this covers the origins of the Sicilian Mafia. Okay. And um, I like this video. It's pretty damn accurate I, I did some independent research as well to make sure um but yeah this you know in, in a very nice cartoony way describes the origin of the sicilian mafia so which obviously then leads into the american mafia that you guys have come to learn and love now so i'm going to go ahead and you know stop it at certain points to give some commentary uh, between me and angie but yeah without further ado guys let's get into the history of the mafia And like the goddamn video, there's 885 of you guys watching right now. Actually, 900 of you plus you guys watching right now. So like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Let's get into it. Be it money laundering or drug smuggling, intimidation or assassination, money has always inspired humanity to do sinister things. With this comes the phenomenon of organized crime, a tragic inevitability in developed cultures all across the world. Welcome to a brand new series on the history of the world's most famous criminal empires. 
we will be exploring the origin stories of iconic syndicates from around the globe, examining shadowy pasts that often extend back centuries. So, sit back as we delve into the underbelly of society and uncover the historical origins of today's organized crime, beginning with the Sicilian Mafia. Shout out to Blinkist for sponsoring this video. Mafia, referred to by its own members as Cosa Nostra, a phrase meaning our thing, is an infamous association of criminal syndicates. They are famous for their heavy-handed role in protection racketeering, alcohol and drug smuggling, and other organized illegal activities across Italy, the United States, and... Uh, so I want to make a quick little point here on the uh, drug smuggling guys. Typically, um, especially with the older school guys, um, uh, drug smuggling, drug trafficking in general was very frowned upon, okay? Uh, you can get killed for participating in drug trafficking. Now, with that said, I want to make this very clear. I'm not saying that guys didn't, you know, traffic drugs. They obviously did, but they did it behind the scenes. People didn't really know about it, etc. It could get you killed. You know, guys like John Gotti, etc. And, you know, uh, they got caught, you know, drug trafficking on wiretaps or whatever. But you can hear him on the wiretap saying like, yo, we got to, we can't let anybody else from the family know about this, blah, blah, blah. So um, though the mafia was involved in drug trafficking, it wasn't something that was uh it was done in secret and it was typically wasn't like them doing a lot of the trafficking a lot of times what it would be is like them being involved with maybe some uh hispanic gang or some other criminal organization that specialized in drug trafficking and them taking cuts from it whatever but the reason why right drugs were so frowned upon with the mafia was because it drew a lot of attention okay and there was football numbers for time so and on top of that drug traffic in itself is a conspiracy-based crime a lot of snitching etc so they didn't want that, you know, as you guys know, when it comes to, and we're going to talk more about the definitions, the mafia is big on a code of silence, okay, also known as omerta, right? But let's get back into it. Beyond. These Italian gangsters have been immortalized in iconic 20th century literature and film, which often depicts them at the height of their power in and around the 1950s. Yet rarely explored are the earliest origins of the mafia a history that goes back a century before the era depicted in the likes of The Godfather and Goodfellas. In 1972, Italian journalist Luigi Barzini had this to say about Italy's southernmost island. The reason why Sicily is ungovernable is that the inhabitants have long ago learned to distrust and neutralize all written laws and to govern themselves in their own rough homemade fashion as if official institutions did not exist. This arrangement is highly unsatisfactory because it cures no ills, promotes injustice and tyranny, leaves crimes unpunished, does not make use of the Sicilians' best qualities, and has kept the country stagnant and backward in almost every way. Guys, hold on. So this right here is probably like the, <laughs> like it hits the nail on the head when it comes to how the mafia operates in general, okay? Um, and this is how the mafia is kind of birthed from uh, distrust or an unavailability of government intervention to provide protection and security. And you guys are going to see that here in a second. Since antiquity, Sicilian history has been defined by foreign rule. Greeks, Carthaginians, Romans, Byzantines, Arabs, Vikings, Normans, Germans and Spaniards had all claimed dominion over the island over various periods. At the turn of the 19th century, 
Sicily had been the domain of the ancestrally French Bourbon kings, who ruled the island and much of southern mainland Italy. Most of Sicily's previous dynasties had practiced a form of feudal rulership, and the Bourbons were no exception. Under their rule, Sicilian land was exclusively in the hands of either the Catholic Church or feudal barons, who held vast estates and made up a tiny percentage of the population. However, by the year 1812, this had begun to change. Primogeniture, the law by which a noble's domain is passed down to his firstborn son, was abolished, and the barons of Sicily began gradually selling off parcels of their land to the peasantry. Soon, over one-fifth of Sicilian land was made up of these small holdings of private citizens. This slow shift from feudalism to capitalism was sped up exponentially in the year 1860, when the intrepid Italian general Giuseppe Garibaldi led a volunteer force of 1,000 men into Sicily, waging a bloody war of liberation that resulted in the island's annexation into the nascent kingdom of Italy. Disdainful of the old world order, the Italian kingdom wished to form itself on the model of a modern nation-state. As such, the bulk of the land that remained in the possession of the church or the nobility was seized and distributed among the peasantry. In Sicily, the number of landowners increased tenfold, from 2,000 to 20,000. Most of these new plots were small farms, grazing lands, lemon groves or vineyards. This was a colossal societal shift. And as you guys could see, whenever opportunity presents itself like that and there's economic growth, there's always going to be criminals ready to exploit that growth. If you guys think about it nowadays, right, with the explosion of technology, right, think about it. We've went from like brick and mortar type crimes of robbing banks and selling drugs and, you know, selling illicit material, even like, you know, let's call it, you know, child uh, corn, if y'all know what I'm saying, right? It used to be hard in VHS, whatever, but now it's on the internet. Everything is digital now. So, uh, so what's the fastest growing crime? It's fraud, right? identity theft, etc. So anytime there's growth to some degree or human progress, there's always criminals there ready to exploit that progress. And you guys are going to see that here in a second with the explosions of lemons, vineyards, etc. how the mafia gets involved, even at this early stage. Prior to Italy's modernization, most barons with vast feudal land holdings had the resources and manpower to ensure their properties remained protected. The same was true for the immensely wealthy and influential Catholic clergy. However, this was not the case for peasant-owned small estates that now made up the bulk of Sicilian land. Many Sicilians would resist the imposition of Italian rule and Italian laws, and take arms in the form of populist uprisings that raged from 1860 all the way to 1876. The violent upheaval born of this fighting further destabilized the region and the poverty caused by the war drove many desperate and starving peasants to steal from Sicily's many new landowners. Unlike the old feudal barons who bought their own protection, these small landowning citizens were dependent on federal soldiers and policemen to safeguard their property, neither of which were able to effectively monitor. Depending on the police back then for them to protect their property? private plots in the face of widespread political unrest across the island. The situation was grim, for the Italian government had distributed lands to tens of thousands of middle-class peasants, but left them helpless when it came to actually protecting it. 
To any man with a nose for business and a constitution for violence, late 19th century Sicily was a dreamland, ripe for exploitation, and that is exactly what happened. In lieu of any presence of law enforcement, the island's landowners were forced to turn to private thugs to protect their property. These loose gangs of hired gunmen soon realized they were the only real authority in the region and began taking advantage of the situation, turning against the very people they were meant to protect, forcing many local farmers into their clientele under threat of violence. Landowners no longer had a choice. And this guy's right here is the birth of extortion, my friends, okay? Anytime you basically have a monopoly of violence on someone and you're telling them they need to pay you or else they have to deal with some kind of physical consequence, right? Uh, and a lot of times they say this with, uh, you know, oh, we're protecting you, air quotes, LOL. No, they're not protecting you. They're extorting you for money at the threat of violence, which you guys are going to see here throughout this broadcast. This becomes, honestly, the bread and butter of a lot of uh, organized crime, the mafia especially choice in whether or not they would hire these contractors. Either they paid out a handsome sum for the protection of their estate, or they would suffer dire and violent consequences. Anton Bloch, an anthropologist who studied the gangs of Italy, defined the central characteristic of mafia as the private use of unlicensed violence as a means of control in the public arena. That is probably one of the best definitions ever. <laughs> I would give him a Don DeMarco for that one. The private use of unlicensed violence as a means of control in the public arena. And from the 1860s onward, this phenomenon would be the principal method by which the Sicilian people were ruled. Due to the inherently clandestine nature of organized crime, the scope and influence of the various factions of Cosa Nostra are hard to quantify. Although it is safe to say that by 1865, they had accumulated vast sway in Sicily, controlling much of its farms and ranches, especially in the western regions surrounding Palermo. As a result of this, stories of their machinations during this era have been well recorded. The extent of the Mafia's reach is first mentioned in a book published in 1864, plainly titled Public Safety in Sicily, and written by one Niccolò Teresi Colonna. However, the publication never used the word Mafia specifically, instead referring to a sect of thieves that had ties across the whole island. Colonna was an Italian patriot and a staunch unionist, the kind of man who brought with him the law and order that criminals reviled. He had narrowly survived an assassination attempt a year earlier, when five armed hitmen had tried to gun him down with muskets while he travelled down a rural road outside Palermo by carriage. Luckily, his guards managed to fend off that's how they used to shoot at you back in the day. <laughs> That's how they used to slide on the ops. Hey, hey you go on in your carriage and then they just shoot at you with muskets. <laughs> the attackers with their pistols, causing them to flee. This brush with death had inspired Colonna to raise awareness about Sicily's ever-growing underground criminal lords. Colonna's book brought attention to many of the Mafia's sinister powers. The sect of thieves that he wrote about was described to have no fear of policemen who they could easily elude. They had no trepidation for the courts either, due to their ability to pressure any witnesses into silence. Colonna's testimony grows even more morbid, as he claimed that any civilian caught approaching a military policeman would be caught and executed. 
This was a practice done to enforce a disconnect between lawmen and the citizenry, born of fear, and instill a law known as humility, by which the Mafia coerced total devotion and respect out of the peasantry which they ruled over. Far removed from being simple extortionists, Cosa Nostra had evolved into a dangerous cult, with deep tendrils in every facet of Sicilian society. The mafioso were especially prominent among the owners of lemon groves. Introduced by the Arabs in the 9th century, lemons had quickly become a valued Sicilian export, and by the 19th century was the island's most lucrative cash crop. For instance, by 1855, over 2.5 million crates of Sicilian citrus made it to New York alone annually. However, they were a fickle plant, with even slight changes in soil acidity being able to sabotage an entire field. This made them especially easy for the Mafia to threaten, and doubly lucrative for them to own. A seminal example of this is the story of a man known as Dr. Gasperi Galati. In 1874, the former surgeon had inherited a 4-hectare lemon grove known as the Fondo Riella. The land was only a short stroll away from Palermo's city walls, putting it in the heart of Mafia territory. Furthermore, Galati had only inherited the grove because the previous owner, his brother-in-law, had suffered a heart attack upon receiving a string of death threats. Sure enough, Galati soon realized that the men who worked the farm kept dubious company. The person responsible for sending the death threats had been the warden of the estate, Benedetto Carollo a man undoubtedly linked to the Mafia. Dr. Galati may not have been aware of the death threats that led to his brother-in-law's demise, but he certainly picked up on Carollo's problematic nature quickly, as the man undercut the sale value of the farm's produce. Stop and also, I want you guys to understand that, that back then, right, like they didn't have the same modern conventions that we have now to preserve, you know, fruits and vegetables to the same level of sophistication that we have now. So. The Mafia obviously was able to exploit this and be like, all right, listen, if you don't pay up, we're going to fuck with your product and you're not going to be able to sell it or make money. So you got to pay up or else not only will physical violence come your way, but we're also going to destroy your crops, which obviously for a lot of people back then, you know, people were a lot of people made their money from being farmers, etc. That was their livelihood. So they didn't really have a choice. So, um, you know, this shows, just goes to show uh, their ability to control and dominate people and be able to basically get their tentacles into your business you know that whole use work for me now that comes from them basically coming in and taking over your business old coal from the estate steam pumps and lemons from the trees all while strutting about like he owned the place dr galati was no fool realizing his farm was being sabotaged he had carollo fired naturally this drew upon him the attention of malicious shadows many of galati's close friends implored him to rehire carollo friends who previously had no vested interest in his business and had no doubt been pressured or bribed by Cosa Nostra. However, the doctor did not relent on his decision. He had forced the Mafia's hand, and on the 2nd of July, the man he had hired to replace Carollo was gunned down on a narrow rural street. Naturally, Galati's attempt to report this murder to the police turned out to be a pointless affair, for they had already been paid off to look the other way. The doctor soon received a string of letters, with the heavy-handed promise that if he did not rehire Carollo, he and his family would face the same fate as the replacement warden they had shot dead. Eventually, the doctor abandoned the Fondariella and fled to Naples, 
leaving his property entirely in the Mafia's hands. The Doctor wrote a written testimony of his misfortunes, giving us a key example of how the early Sicilian Mafia operated. A system in which mafioso strongmen operated from the shadows, forcing non-compliant landowners out of town by either planting saboteurs on their farms or with threats of violence. The Mafia faction that harried Gilati was based in the village of Uditore, where out of a population of only 800, 23 souls had been gunned down in the year 1874 alone. No doubt. Wow. Out of 800, 23 killed through violence. Remember, guys, this is before them extorting people. Uh, like, you know, nowadays, you know what modern businesses, gambling, loan sharking, all the crimes that we know the Mafia for. It started with extorting farmers. You know, okay. um, and then it blossomed to something else. Go ahead. Somebody said that this happens a lot in Venezuela, and that's true. My 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 dad has a farm, and that happens a lot still. Like to this day, like people in Venezuela, we call them vacunas, but it's it's literally this. Like people will store or farm owners so they can keep like their production or the farm, and yeah, it happens a lot. It's crazy. Yeah, Venezuela is crazy, man. Very dangerous. <laughs> All right. They were individuals who had defied the rule of the Mafia. While Dr. Galati's case was maybe only one story out of many, there exists countless cases just like it in lemon groves, farms and villages all over Sicily throughout the latter half of the 19th century. The 1870s saw not just the steady increase of Mafia power, but also the development of many of their rituals which still survive to this day. In 1875, Palermo's chief of police reported on the initiation rites of Mafia, in which new members were made to prick their finger and smear blood over the image of a Christian saint, after which the bloodied image was then burned, binding the initiate to undying loyalty and symbolizing the death of all traitors to Cosa Nostra. Another sacred tenet that had... Now, guys, this ceremony right here is what guys do to become made guys, okay? We're, and we're going to talk about that as well a little bit later on. But this is the process of becoming a made man, and we're going to define that as well, okay? But it's an ancient, well, not ancient, but extremely <laughs> old uh, ritual that's done for guys to become fully initiated into the mafia. Okay, we're going to go into a little bit more detail <laughs> that later on. Propped up in the decades prior was Ometa. Originating from the Sicilian word umilta, meaning humility, omerta was a law that compelled all mafioso to never speak about their affiliations to anyone outside of their inner circle under threat of death. It was clear now that what had begun as a loose association of opportunistic brutes had evolved into something much deeper, born from the chaos of Sicily's upheaval. An entire society existing in the shadows, bound by blood. A society whose hooks sunk deep into the lives of countless men, women, and children. The 1880s saw Cosa Nostra power grow even further. Teresi Colonna, the man who had first brought public attention to the Mafia some 20 years earlier, was elected mayor of Palermo in 1881. Supposedly a staunch opponent of Sicily's criminal overlords, in reality, Colonna had been paid off by the very people who had tried to gun him down decades before. Heavy. Oh boy. He was, he was a straight arrow before, now he's corrupted. The allegations pointed to a crooked mayor of a crooked city 
protecting mafioso from the law, even hiring a mafia member as his chief of police. Colonna was just one of many. And this is something that you guys are going to notice, uh, you know, when it comes to mafia cases in general, there's always some level of corruption, bribery, and payments to government officials to allow them to continue to, con uh, you know, commit their criminal activity unhindered. Public servants whom the mafia had ingratiated themselves with. The mob's ability to pull powerful politicians into their pocket became a key strategy of theirs in the years to come, and an essential source of their growth as an organization. So far was its reach that around this era, a Roman correspondent of the British Daily, The Times, remarked that the gangsters were an intangible sect whose organization is as perfect as that of the Jesuits or the Freemasons and whose secrets are more impenetrable. From here, we begin to enter the era known more broadly through popular film. Between the 1880s and 1930s, one million Sicilians emigrated to America, and naturally the mafioso went with them. The Prohibition era of the 1920s saw mafia activity explode in the United States, as they made a fortune from smuggling bootleg liquor and, later on, branching out into prostitution and drugs. While the Cosa Nostra of America operated independently from their cousins back home in Sicily, they shared the same rituals of shadow and blood. Mafia factions would continue to hold Bam. All right, so that pretty much summarizes it right there, right? The origins of the Sicilian Mafia guys in, uh, in Sicily and then how they came over to the United States. Um, you have some, Angie? Yeah. Do okay, you know what? Uh, well, in Wikipedia, yeah. it says that the word Mafia comes from Mafioso, which is like a mm -hmm. Mafia member, which is called like, Sicily. you know, like... It's a, was it was it was it like mafioso, mafioso? mafioso yeah. in English is this like swagger? Uh, swagger, right? Mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's the, I think it's swagger. Anyways, swagger. Okay. Um, the word mafia comes from mafia, like mafia, because uh, a Sicilian woman apparently got her daughter abused by a an officer. Oh yeah, French guy. What? A French guy. Yeah, it was a French invader. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So uh, you you saw it in the video that yeah I, I heard about right this. so um, she started like running through the streets uh, screaming like my daughter my daughter which means mafia in in Sicilian but it will be like in Italian I think it's ma, ma, mia figlia something like that so people started like seeing the word mafia as a as a resistance movement movement or something resistance like that. movement yeah okay all right so uh, now we're gonna get into guys the Italian mafia here. Uh, so now that we know the origins, right, we've, we pretty much went over how they were formed, right? Through, through, honestly, through lawlessness. And they saw an opportunity where there was a bunch of economic growth through farming, agriculture, and they were able to stick their tentacles inside of that, extract the resources and become very wealthy in the process. And if you don't pay up, you end up getting, you know, fucked up. So, uh, I'll hit some of these chats real quick and then we'll get into the history of the American mafia. Um, Finally, we got here. Oh, six Byron goes, uh, guys, stop saying me and Angie bang before the show. Y'all know it's always after work comes first. I appreciate <laughs> Look that. At that meme. <laughs> yeah, I know. Got to start extorting these uh, OF 304s for protection. Get your bag, Kings. <laughs> uh, AC Slater, three bucks. I appreciate that. Jacob, uh, a dollar. Thank you. Uh, Elevate Entertainment, Fed my number one. Myron, you a top G. I appreciate that, my friend. Uh, Caden Hines goes, like the video. Cool. 
Uh, Ryan uh, Messina goes, do a GFK, do GFK. Yep, definitely the mafia was involved in his murder as well. Uh, Michael Meanstroke and uh, them boys. Uh, <laughs> you going to say too much more than that <laughs> so we don't get canceled. Uh, Kareem Lewis goes, uh, did you hear Hakimi is going to be paid all alimony by his wife? Since she is worth more than him, he deserves to be on City Boys Hall of Fame. Yeah, bro, that's what we're talking about, baby. Uh, you got Myron, Gervonta Davis or Ryan Garcia? Uh, I have no clue, my friend. Um, super sticker. I think he flamingo. meant because you were sick. So what virus you got? Something like that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, if you, if I live close to Delphi, if you need help getting the paperwork for that case. Okay, I might the take care of that. Monitors. And then Homeland Security Investigations. We watch your streams, Myron. Keep it up. Thanks, bro. I appreciate that, man. Shout out to the government in the house. <laughs> My old employer. <laughs> <laughs> no way they just made that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, man. You guys, you guys. The you, w names, you bro. You guys are Seriously. very creative. Very yeah. creative, my friends. All right, let's get into the history of the American Mafia, all right? Let's get into it. And shout out to Kings of Generals, man. I'm going to give these ninjas a subscribe and a like, okay? Subscribe, like their stuff. Uh, show them some oh, support, shit. all right? Okay. I watch a lot of history, guys, so... For me, this stuff is very enjoyable. Hope you guys are enjoying it as well. Again, I'll stop in between and give you guys some commentary. June 30th, 1931. A portly man sits before the defendant's stand in the Chicago Federal Courthouse, nervously wiping his brow with a white handkerchief. An employee of the Internal Revenue... Y'all in the chat. Can y'all guess who they're talking about? Comment in the comment section right now if y'all know who they're talking about right now in this uh, courtroom. Revenue service rises to the witness stand and begins to drone on about missing tax returns and unreported income. Without context, this scene appears to be about as mundane and boring as can be. Mm -hmm. However, millions more recognize this court proceeding for what it is, the technicality that allowed the United States justice system to finally catch the most notorious mobster of <laughs> Someone said Al Capone of syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> don't die okay oh my god this chat bro and they said them boys oh my god bro uh them boys definitely had a had a play uh here guys we're going to talk about them boys a little bit as well because you can't talk about the italian mafia without talking about them boys you can't talk about money without talking <laughs> yeah you know what talking about them boys you know what time it is man. yeah i know what time it is man full time <laughs> Indeed, to many, the era of the speakeasy, the tommy gun, and the illicit bootlegger needs no introduction. But how did criminals like Al Capone grow so powerful? Welcome to the latest video in our series on organized crime, where we will explore the origins of the American mobsters and explain how the era of prohibition allowed them to become some of the most powerful criminals in world history. Today's video is sponsored by Babbel. Fuck you, Babbel. We don't give a shit about you, bro. <laughs> Fuck out of here. Forget about it. Migration to the United States. As war, poverty, oppression, and famine rocked their homelands, millions of Irish, Southern Italians, and Eastern European Jews crossed the Atlantic in search of new opportunities. <laughs> See, them boys came through as well, man. Y'all know what I'm saying. <laughs> In 1892, the iconic Federal Processing Station on Ellis Island opened its doors, but as thousands of migrants passed through its crowded lines each day, 
they soon found that the United States was not quite the dreamland they hoped it to be. Nativist sentiment was strong amongst the upper crust of American society, and many movements sprung up as a result. These cultural conservatives claimed that the United States was founded upon the principles of an Anglo-Saxon Protestant society, and had no place for the Jews or the Catholics. Consequently... <laughs> Sorry, just gotta laugh at that, guys. My bad. Let's keep going. New migrants were often denied respectable jobs, forced to perform menial labor while being crammed into slums like the infamous Five Points in New York, where poor families were stuffed into homes built atop landfills amidst tanneries and glue factories. Most immigrants made the most of the hand dealt to them and worked hard to provide for their families. Others turned to more insidious means to make ends meet. The story of organized crime in America begins as early as the 1830s, with the rise of a handful of predominantly Irish gangs in the slums of New York. The most now, have you guys noticed, right? Whether it's you know, because I talked about this with the Bloods and the Crips. Uh, now you guys are seeing it here with the Irish, with the Jews, with the Italians, etc. Right? What's basically happening is when a group is oppressed to a degree, a lot of times what they do is is they stick together and they form an alliance. And this alliance ends up being a gang a lot of the times. And what they do is they say, okay, if we're not going to be given these opportunities, we're going to take these opportunities. So a lot of the time oppression, right, leads to poverty, which then leads to some type of rebellion slash crime, which is typically done in the, uh, done through the formation of alliances of a like-minded, like religion, like looked upon people. Okay. So uh, yeah, let's keep going. Prominent of these gangs oh, was known as the Dead it. Rabbits. Based out of the poverty-stricken Five Point, they arose as a defiant movement against class oh, oppression just, just imposed on poor Irishmen. Consequently, their main rival, the Bowery Boys Gang, was a xenophobic posse of Protestant, American-born nativists, led by Bill the Butcher Poole. The gangs fought street battles with knives, hatchets, spiked clubs, brass knuckles, tomahawks, and muskets, and their conflict became an inspiration for Herbert Asbury's 1927 non-fiction book, The Gangs of New York, and its movie adaption by Martin Scorsese. The most prominent leader of the Dead Rabbits was John Old Smoke Morrissey, a professional boxer who had made his fortune in prize fights, even becoming the champion of America in 1853. Morrissey soon took his violent lifestyle to the streets of Five Points, having his most bitter rival Bill Poole gunned down in a Broadway saloon in a morbid statement against anti-Irish activism. In the following years, Morrissey became the king of New York's gambling scene, owning racetracks and clubs that attracted such prestigious guests as Mark Twain, John D. Rockefeller, and Ulysses S. Grant. Morrissey was soon so influential that with the help of the Democratic Party political organization known as Tammany Hall, he was elected into the United States Congress in 1867, where he wow. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> always looked out for the Irish, using strong-arm tactics to accomplish his goals. The story of his life left a dubious legacy. Felonious violence was a valid path to wealth for the disenfranchised immigrants. 
Throughout the 1880s and 1890s, new waves of Jewish and Italian migrants would arrive to carve a place for themselves in the streets of New York and beyond, out of Manhattan's Lower East End. And again, guys, you see a trend here. At the time, the United States was growing through immigration and there was many opportunities being given. The United States was starting to quickly become a powerhouse in the global realm. So what ends up happening is these immigrants come here and they see the opportunity. And what do they do? Well, obviously, some people put their nose to the ground and end up working really hard and creating wealth naturally, right, through hard work and perseverance. Others saw opportunity to exploit it and be criminals and make money through that regard. So like I said before, be anytime the there's economic explosion, there's always people ready to scan the system and make money nefariously. You had something, Angie? I said like, I'll be the first one that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> A charismatic thug named Monk Eastman knit together an insidious order made up predominantly of young Jews from Brooklyn. His organization became known as the Eastman Gang and he became a local kingpin in gambling, prostitution, opium dealing, and violent extortion. Eastman's main rival was Paolo Antonio Vaccarelli, better known by his Americanized name, Paul Kelly. Styling himself as a sophisticated gentleman, Kelly made a name as a dexterous flyweight boxer, riding the fame of his victories in the ring to open up several brothels and clubs he eventually cobbled together the largest and most vicious Italian mob in New York. By 1901, Kelly and Eastman's cronies were locked in a bloody turf war in the Lower East Side. Consequently, the two gangs were also in the pocket of Tammany Hall, who used the violent mobsters to further their political goals in the New York State Legislature. Mamma mia! Through bribery, extortion, and voter fraud. In order to enforce a peace between the two, Tammany Hall organized a boxing match between Kelly and Eastman to determine the fate of their gang war. The two mob bosses beat each other bloody for two hours, but the match ended in a draw and the war resumed. Not all the gangs in New York were started by impoverished laborers. Some had deep ties to well-established secret societies, which had been formed in Italy decades earlier and carried over to the United States by its powerful criminals. Two of these groups were the Camorra and the infamous Cosa Nostra, whose rise to power in 19th century Sicily we have covered in a previous video. Meanwhile, Irish gangs held out against the Jewish and Italian advance. Morrissey's Dead Rabbit Society had long since been absorbed into the Five Points gang, but many Irish factions that remained united to form the White Hand Gang, named in juxtaposition to the Italians who practiced a form of extortionism known as Black Hand Violence. It should be noted that not all these gangs were divided entirely on ethnic lines. For example, some Jews served under the Five Points Gang, while some Italians worked for the Eastmen. Plenty of Irish, alongside Poles, Slovaks and other marginalized immigrant communities, were present in all gangs. And uh, this is very true, guys, because even though at the time, which you guys, we're going to talk about this here in a little bit as well, uh, there was frowned upon for mafia guys to work with, let's say, other organized criminal factions, such as like maybe the Jewish mafia, whatever, aka the boys, right? They still did so because they could make money together and they were being oppressed regardless. So they're like, yo, let's just work together and make money. So 
this was very common for people of different groups to work together, even though sometimes it was frowned upon. And we're going to talk about that with Lucky Luciano, okay, and Mayor Lansky here in a little bit. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. We'll keep going. At the turn of the century, the foundations had been laid for an era of lawlessness in the heart of the United States. But it would be two decades later that a certain constitutional amendment would pass, allowing the mobsters of America to explode in prominence and initiating an age of criminal kings who ruled by right of barley, hops, and rye. Now, guys, I want to make this very clear. Prohibition, okay? Which basically was, I think it was the 18th Amendment, uh, basically made alcohol illegal in the United States. The amount of opportunity this created for mafia dudes to make bootleg alcohol and sell was ridiculous. They made billions of dollars in today's, you know, if you were to like use, uh, and, you know, account for inflation, whatever it may be in today's dollars, they made billions of dollars on the sale of uh, fake alcohol and alcohol in general to people while it was banned. And it allowed them to take this money and invest it into other legitimate businesses and become very, very wealthy where they had influence over politicians, law enforcement, and government officials. So prohibition is what allowed the mafia to have a meteoric rise in social status and financial um, power because it was because everyone just wanted a drink and they couldn't get it. And the only way to get it was through who? Organized crime. Dating back to the colonial era, America was a nation that loved its liquor. In lieu of access to clean water and unable to afford tea and coffee, the beverage of choice for the average Yankee was a nice cool tankard of beer. However, it was also a nation founded by Puritans, so its society had civil watchdogs who decried the effects of the alcohol, namely the rise of domestic abuse and substance addiction, and a dive in the physical and mental health of the average working man. In 1873, a group of disgruntled wives who had long suffered at the hands of their drunk husbands formed a society known as the Women's Crusade, whose prayers and songs against excessive drinking rang out throughout the nation. The anti-alcohol sentiment grew in the following decades, as temperance movements soon evolved into the total prohibition of any and all alcoholic beverages. Hell, wives, this is why chicks deserve less, guys. Mamma mia! The leading organization in this was the Anti-Saloon League, whose relentless lobbying soon had Here turned most of the... Which, by the way, guys, book in stores, ninjas. Why women deserve less? Okay? <laughs> so if y'all don't want to get alcohol banned, again, make sure to get this goddamn book, all right? In stores right now, Amazon. I'll put the link below for y'all. You can go ahead and get on Audible, Kindle, hardcover, softcover. It's all out there, man. Okay, if you want to hear me yell at you on Audible, yes, I narrated it myself. Go check it out. Why women deserve less so that we don't end up with alcohol being banned. I want to say, again. I want to say something. Right, I go got ahead. all my people that my Hispanic people. Um, Myron finally said yes, and I'll be translating the book. So, yeah. So yes, it's gonna be out there in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. the so because the mamacitas know that they deserve less too. <laughs> So y'all need to go ahead and get the book when it comes out in Spanish, translated by fucking Angie over here. Okay. 
All right. Y'all know what time it is, baby. Okay. All right. So, I thought you were going to say gorditas. Uh, yeah, well, so the gorditas funny. need to know, too, that they deserve less. Deserve less food. Less comida. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to the show. United States Congress to their side. By the winter of 1919, <laughs> the Great War was over, Charlie Chaplin was rising in popularity, and lively jazz clubs rocked America. On paper, the economy was booming. However, the nation would soon be shaken to its core. The federal government, under pressure from anti-alcohol abolitionists, passed the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution. The era of alcoholic prohibition had begun. As saloons, taverns and distilleries across the nation shut their doors, Puritans from coast to coast celebrated the beginning of a golden age of Christian righteousness and virtues. In reality, by taking drink out of the hands of legal businessmen, they had thrown it into the clutches of the shadowy gangs that had been developing in the country for nearly a century. Bam. And guys, you got to understand that this was already like the perfect storm brewing. So you got an influx of immigrants coming from Italy, right? Uh, you know, you got them boys coming in. You got people from all over Europe coming into the United States, right? And a lot of them are are already involved in organized crime because they're being ostracized and they're being oppressed by the people that already run the country, right? So what are they doing? They're also already involved in criminal activity. So now you take away alcohol, which is something that everyone wants, right? And the only way that you can get it is through who? The very people that are being oppressed the most. Because they're the ones willing to break the laws to supply the alcohol to the people that want to be able to get drunk, right? And we, this is a nation that was founded upon alcohol. People were drinking beer for centuries over here. So now it gives them what? That opportunity that I talked about to make a ridiculous amount of money. So it was the perfect storm brewing to allow the mafia to have a meteoric rise, which you guys are going to see right now. Throughout the 1920s, almost every major city became the home of some form of criminal organization that supplied its population with alcohol in defiance of the law. Before long, America was full of illicit establishments known as speakeasies, in which bootleg alcohol flowed freely. Al Capone is one of the most recognizable names in American history, and his repeated presence in this video should surprise no one. Born in Manhattan in 1899 to a pair of poor Italian immigrants, he dropped out of school at 14 to join Paul Kelly's Five Points gang, working as a bouncer in one of their saloons. At 18, he was savagely attacked by a knife-wielding patron in a dispute over a woman. The assault left the young gangster with three grotesque serrations on the left side of his face, which would give birth to his infamous nickname, Scarface. In 1919, he moved to Chicago, where he found work under the mob boss Johnny Torrio. Torrio soon retired and handed his criminal empire to Capone, which the young gangster proved to be exceptionally capable at running. By 1927, the portly mob boss was the undisputed king of the Windy City, having made a fortune of hundreds of underground breweries, distilleries, speakeasies, racetracks, and brothels he controlled across the entire greater Chicago area. And guys, don't worry. I'm going to go ahead and cover um, in detail 
the different crime families. So we're going to cover the fam five families of New York. We're going to cover the Chicago Outfit, okay, also known as the Chicago Mafia, also known as the Outfit. Um, we're going to cover the Traficantes down in Florida. We're going to cover the guys out in Vegas. We're going to cover all of it, man. So don't worry. Like I said before, the reason why I put off doing the Italian Mafia for so long is because I knew that it was going to take a while to cover all this because it's a lot of content. It's a lot of stuff. So what's more than likely going to happen, just so y'all know, by the way, as well, quick little announcement. We're going to um, be, uh, this is the first episode of the Mafia that we're dropping today, right? Which gives you guys the history and we're going to go over terms, etc. And then every subsequent episode from this point forward is going to be dropped on Thursdays, okay? We're going to pre-record a dropper for y'all and we're going to cover whether it's a family, the FBI taking them down, uh, something we're going to be doing. I estimate that this is going to be somewhere between a five to 10 part series, depending on whether we consolidate some families together or whatever it may be. But, uh, but don't worry, we're going to go over some of the bigger mobsters uh, in detail when we cover the different families, right? So like when we do the Gambinos, for example, we're going to be covering John Gotti extensively. Uh, when we do the Chicago Alpha, we're going to be covering Al Capone and the Valentine's Day Massacre. So we're going to cover the Philly mob. Uh, we're going to cover the Angelos up in Boston, you know, and John Connolly and Buddy Bolger and all that. So don't worry, I got y'all, baby. Don't do all right, which by the way, for some of you guys, that if you want a sneak preview of that, I covered that to a pretty significant degree already when I did Whitey Bulger uh, on Fedit as well. So if you guys want a little, a little and you can't wait, go ahead and check out that episode of Whitey Bulger that I did before. Also, we got 1,700 of you guys watching the show right now. Do me a favor, like the video, subscribe to the channel because y'all are not going to get a former Fed out here breaking down organized crime for you guys and giving you guys this level of detail and entertainment, of course, at the same time. And you're not going to get uh, a cute Venezuelan girl that can't speak English anywhere. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you guys, like we got 1,700 people watching right now. So, you better like the video. Guys. You better like the video because Angie yeah. needs a new pair of pants. Yeah, because she got attacked by a tiger somewhere. All right. You guys better like the goddamn video. <laughs> all right. Let's keep going. His main rival was George Bugs Moran and his Irish Northsiders gang. Back east, a new generation of ambitious crime lords had emerged from the old gangs and divided New York amongst themselves. Arnold Rothstein's origin story was unlike most mobsters. These Rothstein. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Son of a businessman of high standing and the younger brother of a rabbi in training, the Jewish youth took a darker path than the rest of his family, delving into the world of gambling and blackmail. It was even alleged that he managed to fix the 1919 Baseball World Series between the Chicago Red Sox and Cincinnati Reds by bribing the Red Sox to throw the game. When prohibition became law, Rothstein turned to illegal alcohol to make his fortune. By 1925, he was one of the most powerful crooks in the country, forging a criminal empire based out of Broadway and becoming the largest bootlegger in the nation. Charles Lucky Luciano was born in 1897 in Palermo, Sicily, as the son of a poor sulfur miner. The Lucky Luciano is critical to this entire formation by the way guys here so please pay attention at this point we're going to cover lucky luciano a little bit more as well uh, later in 1906 his family emigrated to new york as a teenager luciano fell in love with the five points 
and came into the employ of a faction of the Cosa Nostra, led by the ruthless Giuseppe Joe the Boss Masseria. Unlike other Italian-American gangs, the Sicilian Cosa Nostra was staunchly conservative, refusing to work with non-Italians and even reluctant to work with non-Sicilian Italians. This young Americanized Luciano was shocked when his old Sicilian-raised boss referred to his good friend Frank Costello as a dirty Calabrian. Calabria was right next to Sicily, and any Yo, W racism against your own country. (laughs) 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 My man was racist to a whole other level. And just so you guys know, the reason why Luciano frowned upon this is because Luciano worked very closely with Mayor Lansky, who was what? One of them boys, okay? And Mayor Lansky actually was responsible for helping get Luciano out of prison, right, as a part of a naval intelligence thing, okay, which uh, them boys were involved in some things back in the day, which we're going to talk about that with Ryan Dawson as well. If you don't believe me, watch the documentary Numec, okay, uh, on Rumble. You can't watch that shit on YouTube for obvious reasons. But, uh, yeah, and y'all will see what Mayor Lansky was really doing uh, back then. But, yes, Lucky Luciano worked very closely with them boys. And his boss, Masseria, did not like that at the time, which is going to lead to a war, which we're going to talk about as well after this. Anyway, they were both Americans now. Luciano soon began to dream of a new world order where Jewish, Irish, and Italian gangs alike could breach racial lines and work together. And in re- All Luciano cared about was making money. He didn't care about color, religion, race, none of that. Luciano worked with anyone where he could make money, and his bosses didn't like that, which messed with his ability to earn money. ...rich one another in defiance of the government. At the height of prohibition, mobsters across the country were suddenly making exponentially more money than their predecessors. Before, the gangs had been limited to immigrant neighborhoods in poorer parts of cities, but prohibition had transformed them into high-flying international businessmen. It now became commonplace for every major crook to hire lawyers, accountants, real estate investors, and shipping contractors. By the mid-twenties, the most powerful of kingpins were spending the equivalent of 7 million modern US dollars a month on bribes alone. Still, they remained violent. Holy! Rewind that. How much money? What? US dollars a month full of kingpins were spending the equivalent of 7 million modern US dollars a month on bribes alone. Guys, on bribes alone, they were spending $7 million of today's money. That's $84 million a year, if I'm not mistaken. Guys, that is crazy just to pay politicians off. But I've told y'all, guys, this is what it takes to run organized crime at the level that these guys were, where their tentacles were literally in everything, making big money thanks to prohibition. Still, they remained violent, merciless criminals, using brutal methods to maintain control over their territory. Before long, it became evident that those who lived by the Tommy gun would die by it. Even the most powerful of bosses were far from untouchable. In 1928, Rothstein was gunned down during a meeting at the luxurious Park Central Hotel over an unsettled gambling debt. In Chicago, the escalating war between Capone and Moran reached its crescendo on St. Valentine's Day of 1929, 
when seven Northsiders were openly murdered. This brazen, borderline public execution shocked the American public, and although everyone knew the portly Scarface gangster was behind it, no court had enough evidence to convict him. In October of that same year, Luciano was ambushed and forced into a limousine where he was beaten, stabbed, and strung up by his hands from a wooden beam in a storehouse. Despite all this, he lived, thus earning his moniker, Lucky. All and as you guys can see here, he has a lazy left eye, sorry, lazy right eye, um, and that was from the assault. These acts of violence quickly soured public opinion of the booze runners who committed them. No longer were the likes of Capone seen as righteous Robin Hoods, supplying the people with alcohol in defiance of an unjust law. The veil was lifted, and everyone saw the gangsters for what they truly were. Nevertheless, the power of the American mobster continued to grow. In 1931, Luciano murdered his boss Maseria and defected to the organization of his biggest rival, fellow Sicilian Salvatore Maranzano. Maranzano consolidated control over all the major Italian crime families in New York and declared himself Capo di Tutti Capi, boss of all bosses. However, young Luciano was not content with second place and that same year hired the brutal Irish hitman Vincent Mad Dog Cole to take out his new boss. With Maranzano out of the picture, Luciano became the most powerful mobster in the country and finally ushered in his New World Order, spearheading the formation of the Commission, a unification of all of America's major Italian crime families. For his efforts, Luciano came to be known as the father of organized crime in the United States, creating a confederation of Italian-American gangs across New York, Boston, Chicago, and Philadelphia, while also promoting open cooperation with Jewish and, to a lesser extent, Irish outfits as well. Despite moving away from the political conservatism of the old Cosa Nostra, the new American Mafia Confederation created cultural unity by following a strict set of rules that originated in its Sicilian heartland. This included the adoption of Cosa Nostra initiation rituals, hierarchical structure, and the famous policy of Ometa, the Code of Silence. In 1931, Al Capone was all right. So, guys, so that basically, um, and we'll talk more about Al Capone later on. But here's Lucky Luciano here, guys. Okay, um, this guy is literally probably responsible. They call him the father of organized crime for a reason. So, Charles Lucky Luciano, born Salvatore Luciano, uh, uh, November twenty fourth, eighteen ninety seven, died January twenty sixth, nineteen sixty two. Was an Italian born gangster who operated mainly in the United States. Luciano started his criminal career in the Five Points Gang and was instrumental in development of the National Crime Syndicate. Luciano is considered the father of organized crime in the United States for the establishment of the commission in 1931 after he abolished the boss of all bosses title held by Salvatore Maranzano following the Castel, uh, Maurice War. He was also the first official boss of the modern Genovese crime family. Um, was I, I find it important to kind of define what's a commission. Oh, yes, we will. We will. Okay. Uh, in 1936, Luciano was uh, was tried and convicted for uh, compulsory prostitution and running a pro uh, prostitution racket after years of investigation by District Attorney Thomas E. Dewey. He was sentenced to 30 years, 30, 50 years of prison. But during World War II, an agreement was struck with the Department of the Navy through who? 
them boys, <laughs> okay, aka Mayor Lansky, to provide naval intelligence. Hmm. Again, if you guys want to know more about that, watch the documentary New Mech. If you guys want to know about them boys and their involvement where Mayor Lansky, uh, Luciano, and naval intelligence. In 1946, for his alleged wartime cooperation, the sentence was commuted to the condition that he be deported to Italy. Luciano died in Italy on January 26, 1962, and his body was permitted to be transported back to the United States for burial, okay? Which is crazy in itself, okay? So anyway, uh, with that said as well, guys, I wanted to cover the... Um, the Castamalari's uh, Ca- uh, War, okay? Um, it was a bloody power struggle for the control of the Italian-American mafia that took place in New York City, New York, from February 1930 until April 15, 1931, between the partisans of Joe the Boss Masseria and those of Salvatore Maranzano. The war was named after the Sicilian town of Castamalari, Castelamare <laughs> del Golfo, the birthplace of Maranzano. Maranzano's faction won and divided New York's crime families into the five families. Maranzano declared himself capo de uh, tutti de capi, boss of all bosses. However, Maranzano was murdered in September 1931 on orders of Lucky Luciano, who established a power-sharing arrangement called the Commission, a group of mafia families of equal stature to avoid wars in the future. Now, you guys are probably wondering, what is the Commission? Well, the guys, the Commission, mm-hmm. okay, is the governing body of the Italian-American mafia formed by 19, in 1931 by Charles Loki Luciano following the Castamalari's War. The commission replaced the title of Capo de Tucapi, boss of all bosses held by Salvatore Maranzano before his murder, with a ruling committee that consists of the bosses of the five families of the New York City, as well as the bosses of the Chicago outfit, and at various times the leaders of the smaller families such as Buffalo, Philadelphia, uh, Detroit, and others. The purpose of the commission was to oversee all mafia activities in the United States and to serve to meet and to uh, serve to mediate conflicts among families. Throughout the history of the commission, the body has been involved in several incidents, including the Appalachian meeting in 1957, a plot to kill seven members of the commission in 1963, and the Mafia Commission trial in 1985. As y'all know, this was run by your boy, uh, Rudy Giuliani, okay? So now uh, to document this war a little bit more with you guys, where I got a documentary here, the Mafia and the Custom uh, Malari's War, because again, this war led to the formation of the commission and the five families and put Lucky Luciano at the top of it all. And unlike Maranzano, right? Lucky Luciano, what he cared about, guys, was making money. So when he took over, he didn't say, I'm the boss of all bosses. He didn't say no dumb shit like that. He said, hey, I don't want nothing from none of y'all. You guys run your own families. Every five years, we meet together. We have a meeting. Make sure that we, you know, mediate and don't, you know, squash any beefs. You know, deal with any issues, and we all make money. Luciano only cared about making money. He didn't care if he had to work with them boys. He didn't care if he had to work with Albanians. He didn't care if he had to work with blacks. He didn't care. As long as he could make money, that's what he cared about. He didn't want anyone interfering with that. So his thing was, I'm gonna make the commission. It's a ruling body. We all work together. Let's get this money. Meanwhile, Maranzano and them, they wanted all power, which is what uh, which is what Luciano did not want, which is why he was involved in killing Maseria, Maranzano. He backstabbed them, but at the end of the day, it allowed everyone to make more money, which is what his main, his bottom line was. All right, let's go ahead and uh, play 
uh, this war so you guys kind of get a better idea of it. Because this, this war is what led to the formation of the modern-day mafia as we know it. We're going to go over the terms and the hierarchies after, which was created through this war. In 1928, when peace could not be reached, the two factions put their hands to their guns and the shooting began. Between the years 1920... Remember, guys, the two factions are the Masaria side and the Maranzano side. ...28 to 1930, it was estimated by the New York police that the death toll in the Castellamarisi War was greater than 50 men. Tired of the war and viewing it as unprofitable, Masaria's lieutenants, Charles Lucky Luciano, Frank Costello, Vito Genovese, and others conspired to have their boss, Masaria, killed. They so they were originally on Masaria, okay? And also, guys, do me a favor. Like the video. We got uh, almost 1,800 you guys watch right now, but we only got 994 likes, man. Let's get up to at least 1,500. Then sought peace with Maranzano. It was Maranzano who gave structure to the current organization in New York known as the Five Families. And it was Maranzano who first coined the phrase Cosa Nostra, meaning our thing. Please note that this phrase was only applied to the New York Borgatas. It was not used by other families throughout the country. For example, Chicago simply referred to themselves as the outfit. The original five families as set up by Maranzano included Charles Lucky Luciano, Thomas Gagliano, Joseph Prefaci, Frank Scalisi, and Joseph Bonanno. And this, my friends, was the beginning of the New York Five families that you guys famously know now, okay, which ended up becoming uh, the Lucchese's, the Gambinos, the Colombo, uh, the Bonanno, etc. Though Bonanno never heard Maranzano call himself the boss of bosses, many, even a few inside his own family, believed this was his intention. In their view, they had simply traded one tyrant for another. What was well known is that Marazzano did not trust the new alliance, and therefore he put a contract on Luciano, Costello, Genovese, Joey Adonis, Willie Moretti, Dutch Schultz, and Al Capone. Bam! So obviously he wanted, he wanted them all dead. Okay, so this is why Lucky Luciano conspired and had some other hitmen go ahead and take Maranzano out because he knew that there was a contract on his head and he had to get rid of him first. And that he had hired Vincent Mad Dog Cole to take them out. Ironically, the tip-off to Luciano came from a Maranzano man, Thomas Three Finger Brown Lucchese, who had secretly backed the plan of a new commission. A plan conceived not... Because Maranzano was acting ridiculous, saying, I'm the boss of all bosses, and y'all need to all answer to me, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, bro, what the hell? Not in the mind of Charles Luciano, but in the brilliant foresight. And he also didn't like them boys. <laughs> so obviously Luciano, who works very closely with them boys, wanted him gone. Of Johnny Torrio, one-time partner with Al Capone. With this information, Luciano struck first hitting Maranzano. He arranged for Samuel Red Levine and three other gangsters. Levine 
Y'all know what time it is, man. The boys are about to strike. <laughs> provided by Meyer Lansky. So Mayor Lansky provided the people, right? AKA the boys. <laughs> All right. To go ahead and take out the boss of all bosses, Maranzano. I do have a question, though. Yeah, um, go ahead. How these guys didn't have... Well, I don't know if they did. That, that's my question. They have, like, a security... um, Securities with them. Like, you know, like... Oh, you're going to see how they did it now. Watch. Okay. You're going to see how, how uh, Mayor Lansky and, and them boys did it. To go to Maranzano's office on September 10th, 1931, posing as accountants and taxmen. Translation. They went and posed as IRS agents, guys. That's how they were able to get in. So them boys walked in pretending to be, you know, some IRS agents. Hey, you owe us some money. Next thing you know. Once inside his office on the ninth floor of the Helmsley building, they disarmed Maranzano's guards. The four men then shot and stabbed Salvatore Maranzano to death. As they fled down the stairs, they came face to face with Vincent Mad Dog Cole on his way up for a scheduled appointment that he had had with Maranzano. They warned him that there had been a raid and he fled the scene. <laughs> Bonanno and more than likely Profacci were not happy about this turn of events. Bonanno wrote in his book, Honor Thy Father, it told the fight to vindicate Maranzano the men in my family would have fought. But what good would it have done to fight Luciano? He had claimed self-defense in the killing of Maranzano. Bonanno had previously explained that Maranzano was behaving unusually after the death of Mazaria. Now he, that is to say Luciano, mainly wanted to be left alone to run his enterprises. He was That's all he cared about was making the money. Now here's a scene, by the way, guys, of them boys walking in. Hopefully I don't get hit with a Somebody copyright Somebody in the on this. chat said them kilos. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I don't get hit with a copyright for this, but it's only a minute 21. So let's see what happens. Let's, let's, uh, we'll take the risk boys. We'll take the risk. Let's do it. All right. I'm going to stop it frequently so that we can <laughs> go ahead and make some commentary, et cetera. So they uh, don't hit us with, with it as much. All right, guys. <laughs> like it is, uh... uh, yeah, I know they're going crazy right here. All right, let's, <laughs> let's do it, man. The boys coming in. <laughs> Bureau of Internal Revenue, we have a subpoena for Mr. Salvatore Maranzano. Because they alleged that he had not been paying taxes for a very long time and owed quite a bit of money to the uh, to the government. <gasps> Bam! And they sat, stab him. <laughs> the boys is attacking. Acting. What the hell? <laughs> and remember, he doesn't like them boys. He didn't want anyone to do business with these guys, right? Like, because he was, he thought, you know, everything should be Sicilian only. He didn't even like other Italians. Why are you holding that? <laughs> then they end up shooting him in the head. Oh, what a spoiler. Oh, man. Lord. 
Oh, Lord. I don't think that's safe for YouTube. So we'll just go ahead and uh, <laughs> move on. But you guys get the idea here. All right. This was basically the murder of your boy, Maranzano. Okay. Marina all over trying to the impose place. himself on us as Mazaria had done. Lucky demanded nothing from us. After the death of Maranzano. And Luciano is smart. That's what actually kept them from killing him. Is that once he took power, he didn't say, I want the power. He just said, yo, let me be the boss of my family like I'm already doing. Let me make my money. Let's create a commission so that the power is distributed amongst all. And let's work together and make money. That's all I care about. There was a change in one of the families, the one headed up by Frank Scalisi. He may have been the Luca Brasi of his day. Not even Joe Bonanno could call off Frank Scalisi. He had been a strong supporter. And then bam, here is the commission, guys. You can see here all the different crime families. You got Lucchese here in New York City, uh, Zerilli, Detroit, uh, Patriarch of Providence, Bonanno, New York. Uh, Maggiano, I think that is, or Maggi Magadino. 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 Okay, Buffalo, uh, Gambino, New York City. Uh, I can't even see. Giancano, that. Chicago. Gica yeah, Giancano, uh, Chicago. Giancano. Genovese. I don't know why it's. Hold on, let me try to increase the quality of this thing. That's why. Yeah, on our on my screen, it's really blurry. Uh, Bruno, yeah, Philadelphia, is. Colombo, New York City, uh, Buffalo, Scranton, Scranton, Buffalino. Uh, so yeah, y'all get the idea though, right? You got the Traficante here as well. So WFBI. Yep. Or the <laughs> FBI intelligence. Yeah, facts. WFBI, bro, in the fucking <laughs> house, man. FBI, open up. <laughs> and the emerging new commission, for one reason or another, considered him to be a liability. Scalisi was forced to retire by Luciano and replaced by Vincent Mangano. It should be noted that the commission was not an all Sicilian organization, nor were New York's brackets divided up only amongst the five families. Guys, we got 1,800 y'all in here, man. Do me a favor. Let's get to 1,800 likes on this thing because this video took quite a bit of research. Me and Angie watching literally a bunch a, a, of a, a, so much content to make sure yeah. that we gave y'all uh, the best videos in the most concise format that has the most historical value that is pertinent to the topic at hand. Dutch Schultz, a German Jew, owned a large slice <laughs> the boys. of the pot. He was, by all accounts, the most powerful single member of the commission. Other non-Sicilians also had a voice and a vote on the commission board. A short list includes Meyer Lansky, Louis Lepke Bacalter, and Abner Longy Zwilman. Oh, oh, what? Them boys. Oh, my God. Them boys had a seat at the commission, too, man. Throughout the country, others, such as the Neapolitan <laughs> Alcone, was a member of the commission. And it should be noted that contrary to popular opinion, Capone was not mafia. Mafioso came from Sicily, and Capone's roots were in Naples. The five families were set up as a way of keeping the peace within the Sicilian Mafia ranks. During the 1940s and 50s, the five families began ruling the whole of the commission. Hence the term Mafia, though originally only used for and by Sicilians, became a slang term for all organized crime.
Bam. All right. So that covers the war and the formation, guys, okay, of the um of the families. And this is kind of this uh board here, real quick, uh, kind of illustrates the war, the Maranzano group and uh the Masaria group. Okay. Um I'm gonna drop a link for you guys so you can see like some all... of these charts. Yeah, like all yeah. the charts so you can understand more like the ch the family and everything. And like the they have like all the charts about like the ma the mafia, like general mafia and also like the wars and everything. So I'm gonna drop it here so you guys can see it. Bam. And you can study more the Italian mafia if you're interested. Cool. Shout out to Angie for doing that. Um and yeah, so guys, so let's go ahead and I'm gonna show you guys now, okay, what the organization chart looks like. This actually comes from the FBI, okay? Uh from directly from their website, as you guys know, the FBI was the main agency that done uh, did the La Cosa Nostra investigations. So let's go ahead real quick with the yeah, hierarchy so you guys understand. Yeah, this is yeah the most accurate by far. Okay, and you got the five crime families, right? So New York's five families in New York City. Five, and oh, this my... again, this was Lucky Luciano, the the Casamilleries War, and Lucky Luciano basically led to the formation of the five families, which is the, the hierarchy chart that you guys see here now, okay? So New York City, five major Italian-American uh, mafia families dom dominate organized crime activities. The Bonanno, the Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, and Lucchese crime families. While the mafia, also known as La Cosa Nostra, aka our thing, may no longer possess the robust national presence and influence it once had, it remains a significant threat in the extended New York metropolitan area, New England, Philadelphia, Chicago, and Detroit. And as you guys know, why did they, you know, have that crazy rise of fame and power? Thanks to prohibition. Okay, so the mafia organization chart is the boss or don, the undisputed leader of the organization. Okay, and every every family has a top guy. Under him is a guy called the consigliere. Okay, a counselor and advisor to the boss. The consigliere is a trusted friend and confidant, usually the number three man in the family. Okay, so he's like right across. And then number two, the number two guy in the family is the underboss. A powerful second-in-command, the underboss could be a family member such as a son who is being groomed to one day take over the family business, okay? Then you got the capos. Describes a member, a ranking-made member of a family who leads a crew of soldiers. A capo is similar to a military captain who commands soldiers. So typically, this is what you would call a street boss also, okay, capo. And then you got a soldier. Also known as a made man, soldiers are the lowest members of the crime family, but still command respect in the organization. To become made, soldiers are required to take an oath of silence called omorta. In some families, another requirement uh, is that uh, candidates commit murder. Okay, and then an associate, okay, is someone, an individual who is part of a crew but has not been made and commits crimes under the protection slash direction of made members and remits a share of its illegal proceeds to his direct made superior okay so basically guys what is a made man all right because for you to be a part of the mafia you got to be a made man okay so made man guys is basically uh someone who is <clears throat> in the mafia officially okay he's been basically blessed in through uh the ritual okay and it's called opening the books and bringing in new members in and they take the <clears throat> the oath of allegiance to the mafia, right? And the code of Omerta to become a made guy. All right. And we're going to go ahead and play this video, right? From your boy, Michael Francis, who I like his YouTube channel a lot here. So go ahead and subscribe and like, 
and he describes on Halloween night, 1975, the blood oath, the night I became a made man. He was okay? a pentito. And was... he was at the time a capo, or excuse me, he be, this is before he became a capo. Uh, this is when he became a made guy. All right. And he's going to describe what the ritual is like. So now I'm getting the feeling, oh, they, okay, this. And yes, guys, I'm in the process right now of working to get him on the Fresh and Fit podcast. <laughs> All right. So shout out to him. We're going to get him on eventually. We'll make it happen. Uh, I really like this guy's content. Uh, and he talks about, he gives a lot of stories about being in the mafia. So yeah. Could be my day. Well, we're hanging around, hanging around. Then it was about, I would say, 11 o'clock at night. Andrew said, let's go. We get in a car and I drive him to uh, Anthony Colombo. Uh, had a, uh, a catering hall. I think it was called the Eldoro and it was in Brooklyn. And he was a member of the Colombo crime family, guys. And he was probably one of the highest earners for the family ever. Guy was making millions of dollars a week. And we'll talk about Michael Francis in detail when we cover the Colombo crime family. Drive to that catering hall. I kind of had a feeling this is it. And we get there and there's about five other guys that were also recruits at that time. I knew each one of them. And uh, we realized this was going to be our night. And so, again, that feeling of exhilaration kind of came over me, um, that special feeling that I got, you know, that uh, I said, hey, this is it for me, something important in my life, life-changing experience. And we were kind of waiting outside in a room, and uh, then we got called into the room one by one. The underboss, the consigliere to his left and right, all the cop regimes were alongside of them. We had about 15 in our family at that point. And uh, I walked down the aisle, I stood in front of the boss, held out my hand. He took a knife right here, cut my finger, just light cut, squeezed it. Some blood uh, fell on the floor. He also pricked my finger with a pin just to make sure that, you know, it was going to bleed the right way. So I kind of got two little, uh, uh, you know, marks at that time. And uh, then he took a saint. He told me to cut my hands, took a saint. It was a Catholic altar card, put it in my hands, and Andrew lit it aflame. It didn't hurt. It burned quickly. It was merely symbolic. And he looked at me and he said, tonight, Michael Francis, you are born again into a new life into La Cosa Nostra. Violate what you know about this life. Betray your brothers and you will die and burn in hell like the saint is burning in your hands. He said, do you accept? And I said, yes, I do. And that's it. That's the oath. It's not a long, drawn-out affair. It's pretty simple, very serious, a very imposing night. There was a dimly lit room. They really wanted you to understand the seriousness of what you were getting involved in. And uh, that was it. That was my turn. I was excused at that point. I went into another uh, room in the uh, catering hall until the other five guys or four guys, whatever was left, uh, went in and took their oath. And uh, when we were done, we went into another section of the catering hall and there was a banquet let out for us, right? That's what all Italians do. No matter what the occasion is, we go in and eat. And so we're sitting down, you know, the six new made guys, uh, all of the copper regimes are on the boss, Tom DeBella, the boss, Andrew Russo. And we just start to, 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 to chatter and talk and everybody's feeling real good. And I'll never forget the boss looked at us and he said, you know, let me give you some of the rules here. He said, any act of violence, any murder, we're going to be straight out. He says, you don't get involved in anything unless it's approved by me. He told us how do we, we report again to our copper regimes. He said, we were new men now. Nobody can ever uh, touch another made guy. He went through the whole thing. And he said, listen, 
you can't touch a made guy unless the um the family the boss basically gives a green light on a made guy so it needs to go higher up for a made a made, a made guy to be murdered you know, I'll never forget what happened. A little guy by the name of Joe Vitaco, who was very close to my dad. And you can't kill a boss without going through the commission. And, and asked for permission. He was a soldier. But he asked for permission to be um, in that ceremony. Normally, it's only the couple of regimes, the captains that are allowed. But he asked for special permission because he knew me since I was a kid. And it was real special to him that I was becoming a made guy. So he walks in the room with a bag of money, well, an empty bag. And he says, hey, boss, should I give all these new guys their bag of money now? And the irony in that is, is that people think that once you become a member of that life, that they start throwing money at you, that all of a sudden you become wealthy. Not true. It's just the opposite. Okay. In that life, you got to be paying up all the time. You can use that life as an advantage to you if you know how in order to make your way, maybe make, you know, some more money. If you know how to use that life, like I believe I did, to benefit you in business, it can go a long way. But not everybody had that expertise, that talent, that whatever you want to call it. And um, uh, everybody started laughing. And a boss looked at us and he said, don't expect this life to make money for you. You got an advantage here. Go out and use it. And if you can't use it, that's tough luck. That's on you. We're not throwing money on you. Made it very clear. And I got the message that night. And as a made guy, guys, your job is to earn money for the family. And then that money gets kicked up, okay, to the bosses and the higher ups. So that's your job. And then the more money you earn for the family, that's how you get promoted up to a capo, to an, uh, you know, to an underboss, to a consigliere, whatever it may be. But that's how you rise the ranks is earning money for the family. And guys, remember, they'll have hundreds of guys. But, you know, just like with anything in the world, the Pareto Principle, 20% of the people end up doing 80% of the work most of the time. And in this case, Michael Francis was actually one of the highest earning capos for any uh, fa mafia family. And we're going to talk about, about him in more detail uh, when we cover the Colombo crime family. But he, has an, he had an ingenious scheme with gas tanks and meters and taxes. That was his thing that was unique to him that he earned quite a bit of money. Oh, yeah. But I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. give away too much. But it was uh, this guy, a very sharp guy. We're going to talk about uh, him more when we cover the Colombo crime family. But now you guys see, okay, <laughs> how sophisticated, how complex, how deep this can get with the Italian mafia. And why I said, if we're going to do this, we need to do it right. We're going to have to do this over multiple episodes so you guys understand what the hell is going on here. All right? Uh, we got 1,841 of you guys in here, but we only got 1.2K likes. Do me a favor. Like the video because I'm losing my voice, but I am growing back my goddamn hair. AKA, I'm bald no more. All right. So, well, still a little bald, but not as bald as before. Uh, we hit some of these chats. Remotely culturated goes, fun fact most of the drugs that uh, the New York mob had was actually from the Detroit mob. Okay. Michael Meestroke, $1. Appreciate that. Jory Choi, two bucks. Appreciate that. Shout out Myron, Adam Russell, uh, five bucks. Uh, Umo Nation goes, Myron Habibi, can you please do one on Gin Kid? It would be beautiful. A lot of red pill talking points. I've never heard of Gin Kid. Uh, KNG, great YouTube channel there. Ukraine War Vids A, A++. Okay. Christopher Kelly, great job, Myron. Love Mafia content. Got you. There's many more to come. Problematic immigrants, it's time to build a wall. <laughs> 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 From your boy Donald, a.k.a. Trump. Uh, we got here, um, Chris 17 goes, W to Myron and Angie, I always get something I always got something interesting to listen to uh, while I work to my uh, my two jobs. 
my child goes with the baby mama and I get that money and learn some crazy shit. Hey, that's what it's about, my friend. Uh, I approved the sound effect, Byron. LMAO, give me my cut. Hey, Mario, I ain't giving you nothing. All right. Uh, Mr. Bixter, any police officers, high value men? Are, uh, yeah, if you earn quite a bit of money and you got respect in your career field and you're a top tier officer, then yeah, could be. Myron, when's the Ryan Dawson interview? Coming soon. I just need to plan a date of when we're going to do it and how we're going to do it and what topic we're going to cover. Um, because I know he already done a 9-11 thing with Sneeko. Uh, and we're talking about doing the Iraqi war, but I just got to figure that out and iron it out with him. But we definitely are, because uh, he has quite a bit of information on them boys, if you know what I'm saying. But that definitely ain't going to be on YouTube. Mike Ward, 20 bucks. Appreciate that. Steady T Mac goes, could you break down Kanika Jenkins' case? Girl found dead in Freezer after partying with friends in Crown Plaza Hotel. Was ruled a suicide. You have Freezer only locked from the outside. Friends lied too. Uh, okay. Can, we, can you write that down? Guys, Angie? again, leave your request in the comment section. Yeah, yeah, but please. he but he he sent the chat. So right No, it down. but okay, I'll write it down. So yeah. it's okay. But yeah, leave in the comments leave uh leave uh cases in the comment section too. But we'll write that one down. We got you. Uh so I saw three this in a chat. I was actually interested, but can you cover the case of Joko Furuto? Love the concept, brother. Keep it the good That's work. That's the video that we saw, remember? Which one? The Jap uh, I think it was Japanese, the Japanese girl that got raped by a hundred people plus. Oh, plus okay. Crazy. Oh my god, that I one was you, terrible. That was horrible. That one was really bad. Uh smash the like button ninjas, okay? Uh AC Slater put a hit on that like button boys. Got you. Toxically masculine. When you say them boys, what is the reference to? Dudes with mad moolah? I guess you'll have to figure that one out, my friend. Black Wolf Inc., welcome as a member. Uh Michael Mistro, a dollar again, fresh as dog. These names sounding like Olive Garden secret menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, guys, Yo, what the hell, bro? Like, like seriously, Yo. no. We we watch like a lot of videos on Italian mafia and stuff, and I'll be like, Myron, I can I can't watch anymore because these names got me so confused. You know, there's so many names. There are so, so many, there are like, so many names. Weird Thanks. pronunciations as well. Yes, yeah. but he the fact that he said it sounds like Olive Garden's secret menu is hilarious. <laughs> uh, Slippery Beast, 10 bucks. Yo, you got to bring Tommy Samaria back on the show. Bring Darius M2. He's funny. My favorite RP content creator. When his stuff is cold, coming. Uh, I don't know, man. Whenever he wants to come. Uh, we invited him. Doors open, so uh, Steph is always welcome. Uh, and then we got here, Black Wolf Ingo. is married for a future episode. Can you talk about Crazy Eddie? ran a multi-chain business in New York that was all an organized scam. Crazy Eddie. All right. Um, Remember, guys, leave comments below in case that you guys want. Angie will go through it. But since you guys super chatted these ones in, uh, Angie will write them down here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what else here? So, yeah, guys. So a quick little summary of today's show. We went over the Sicilian Mafia, right, which went ahead and created the foundation for the Italian American Italian Mafia to come into the United States and flourish. All right. We talked about the Castamarese War, uh, which led to Lucky Luciano. Basically becoming the boss of all bosses, he quickly relinquishes that title, unlike his former uh, Maranzano, and he lets and uh, that creates the formation of the commission, right? Which basically it's an alliance of the five crime families as well as the other crime families from other areas to basically have a big board, right? To make decisions and come, you know, squash out beefs, etc., so that all the families can earn and make money. We define some of the terms: what being a maid guy is. What the ceremony is like, what omerta means, which is the code of silence, what the cosa nostra, our thing, uh, 
what an associate is. It's not a made guy, but someone that helps out with the mafia and committing criminal activity. And then we talked about, you know, the books, which means basically opening the books up and, uh, you know, bringing guys on as made guys. And uh, yeah, so we basically covered all, uh, you know, what I would call, uh, we covered the hierarchy, right? What a boss is, a consigliere, an underboss, a capo, a soldier, etc. So yeah, man, we pretty much covered everything when it comes to the origins of the Italian mafia. All right, so let's see here if we got any uh, last questions before we close we this five, bad boy out. Five uh, super chats more. We have more. Yeah, five more. Five more. Okay, let me uh, catch these that came through. Just became authorized now with a seven sixty seven credit score. Good shit, my friend. Uh, we got here. Um, Mataz Noah goes Myron, do an interview with Michael Francis. Comment, guys. I'm working on it right now as we speak. Break the like buttons, kneecaps. Yes. Break the like buttons, kneecaps, guys. Give us some cement shoes because we did a lot of studying on this topic for y'all so like the goddamn video i only see 1.3k likes we should be at 1.8k likes god damn it because i worked really hard to put this all together for y'all you know making sure that we get the right videos fact checking stuff uh jorge diaz goes my i'm a professional translator i love to translate your book if you don't have someone doing it already uh don't worry angie's on it yeah she's gonna be translating, I'm translating it. it uh but if you speak another language let me know uh should we maybe in italian <laughs> <laughs> When do you drop uh, episodes on Spotify? I do. I drop episodes on Spotify all the time. Mo handles Fedit on Spotify, guys, which is Fedit eighteen eleven on Spotify. Um, oh and, shit! Sorry. And then uh, <laughs> we keep clicking on it at the same yeah. time. SEO goes salute to Myron and Angie. I've been watching Trap Laura Ross vid on King Von. Was he a serial killer? Uh yes, according to FBI definition, and I think Trap Laura Ross does make a strong case for uh, King Von being a serial killer. I think he does make a strong case for it. Shout out to Trap Laura Ross. That was a fantastic documentary he did. Uh, should I go with a 700 plus credit score, credit card, or discover it SEC? Uh, if you got a 700 plus credit score, then uh, should I go with this? Yeah, you could go ahead and get a good credit card. You don't need a uh, secured credit card. Do a fed it with the Albanian mob next. Uh, we will do. Uh, I'll do. I'll, I, I still got to cover the Russian mob in the triads, bro. I'll be, I'll, the, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> I got to cover that. Uh, do a video with the modern day mafia. Uh, at the end, we'll cover that modern day mafia. But first, we got to cover all the families historically. Yeah, uh, uh, that'll be it. Yeah, yeah, guys. Um, we'll be dropping what the mafia episodes on Thursday, right? Yes. From now on, so uh, so we won't be like caught up with the with the copyright and shit because we will be watching these documentaries and like quite strong for YouTube. And yeah, like I said, I said uh, I made a, a live on friday i think with cena and i said some of you guys asked me about this and i said that we'll be covering just regular canto for Fetty on on sunday so yeah stay tuned mamma mia got y'all man <laughs> so guys hope you guys enjoyed that one like the video man share this with a friend timestamps are going to do them here in a little bit for y'all um we'll probably record what you know what let's take a vote what oh, shit, crime shit. family do y'all want us to cover First, let's see what the chat says. Maybe I'll do a poll here. Let me, let me, maybe, yeah, you know what? Let me do a but poll. But what, like after this? Uh, like for, for Thursday? Yeah, for Thursday. But I want right. to see what they, uh, what, what family they want us to cover um, next year. So I'm going to go ahead and do a poll. All right. Which family do you guys want? All right. So we're going to go. Fino, 
one. No, no, I probably might spell some of these wrong, guys, okay? So don't get mad. Okay. <laughs> Lucchese. All right. Uh, Genovese. Damn, they only let me pull four. Lame. That sucks. Well, right. that's okay. You can leave the last one for, for last. For last. Yeah. yeah, and then and then if it's none of these four, uh, let me know. But hold on one second. All right. Uh, so, because we got... <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. My voice sucks. There you go. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Luke, uh, let me know. Hold on. Let me make sure I spell this So, right. Bonanno, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, and Lucchesi. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Let me switch. Lucchesi. Genovese for Colombo. Remember, guys, when you speak Italian, you got to do the hand like this. Colombo. What was that? Switch your camera. Oh, to you? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, like this. I know this is a stereotype, but you know we don't we don't give a fuck about stereotypes in this channel. So, <laughs> yeah, when you speak Italian, you gotta do this. Oh, you gotta do that all the time. <laughs> That's Italian. Now we're gonna get whacked. Good job, Angie. Now they're coming at us. Come on. Okay. You so, saying worse stuff. Uh, this is true. Uh, okay, guys. So go ahead. I got the poll up. Which family do you guys want for the next episode of Fed It? It's up to y'all to pick. Let's see. Or if you guys want the Genovese, comment Genovese below. <laughs> Bro said Gaines family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. They're literally, okay. It looks like Gambino is in the lead with 58%. Damn. Y'all want John Gotti, don't y'all? That's why. I think that's why they want uh, the Gambinos. They want, they want John Gotti. Let's see. We'll give it a minute while you guys do that. While, while we go ahead and wait for you guys to go ahead and vote, because, you know, we're obviously a commission over here on our own. Like the video. Let's get up mm -hmm. to 18, uh, 1,700 likes, 1,800 likes. Uh, guys, again, the Fedit uh, Instagram, so I won't forget. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll be repeating this in the video. Um, it's Fedit dot... 1811. Yes, at Fedit dot 1811. So you guys can leave. Uh, request theirs. I won't be giving my Instagram anymore. Don't hit me on my Instagram, please, because you guys are weird. So please, <laughs> like, just leave your request on the Fedit uh, Instagram. It will be like the official Fedit Instagram from now on. It's at Fedit dot eighteen eleven. So yeah. And Angie runs that, so y'all can go ahead and you know. No, 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 no. <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. Don't <laughs> send that third pick. <laughs> Jill, she... <laughs> yeah, no, don't. Anyway, uh, so let's see here. Yeah, Angie, they want Gambino, sixty-four percent, because uh, your boy uh, John Gotti. So, all right, cool. I think it's settled that we are going to cover the Gambino crime family on the next episode of Fed It that will drop on Thursday for the Mafia episodes. But uh, cool, Angie. Uh, what what do you got to say to people before I close this thing out? Um, just that, like, just follow the Instagram. We got two more super chat if you want to read them. Two just, more? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, we got here, um, Na Nacho Singles. Great work, Myron and Angie. I recently wrote a novel regarding the mafia in the late 60s and 70s in NYC. That's Your cool. information is on point, as always, brothers. I appreciate that, bro. That means a lot. Uh, that historian likes it. Hey, Myron and Angie, glad to see you guys again. Looking forward to the mafiosos here. Careful not to get whacked on the subject. Well, we probably are, thanks to Angie's. Uh, racist comment about oh, you know you gotta talk <laughs> no, we like won't. it is. No, we won't. Hey, mama mia, we gonna die. <laughs> mama mia. Uh, so okay, hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Fed It Man. Um, I think uh, so yeah, 
Thursday, we're going to do the Gambinos. And then Sunday, we'll cover uh, a regular topic. We might cover um, the loads that on... bank shooter, maybe. Right. The Luciana? No, 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 no. The, no, the one, the, the shooting at the bank. Remember? Oh, right, 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 right. Remember that we were Shit, watching, right. whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll cover that it. one for y'all next Sunday. So Sunday will be regular Fed episodes. Thursday is going to be Mafia. Oh, shit. Maka Doe. Thank you so much, bro, for the $100 super chat. That means a lot. Like I said, guys, this channel isn't necessarily about making money. It's about giving y'all entertainment education. It helps me live my old life of, yeah. you know, being uh, working for the government. Uh, Myron, Alvo uh, goes, Myron, what do you think about uh, what's going on in Sudan right now? Uh, it's crazy, bro. It's it's wild. Uh, the the, the two armed factions uh, fighting right now. There's oh. basically like a little uh, like a civil war almost going on over there. So yeah, it's it's wild, man. Uh, it always sucks, but you know this is not new for Sudan. This has been you know if you guys remember, Sudan used to be one country, and then there was a war, a civil war there, and it split into North and South Sudan. Sudan used to be the biggest country in Africa, but now it's not uh, because of that war. So you know it's 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 a war torn country. It's kind of how it is how it is, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, guys, like the video, subscribe to the channel. Uh, <clears throat> I'll catch you guys on the next episode of Fed. I hope you guys enjoyed that one, man. Very informative. Timestamps will be in very soon. Love y'all. Peace. Oh, wrong one. My bad. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, okay, guys? HSI. The cases that I did mostly were human smuggling and drug trafficking. No one else has these documents, by the way. Here's what Fed it covers. Dr. Lafredo confirmed...